O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, for judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say, my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord our God will destroy them. Okay, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you would open it up to us that we might take comfort and also see your glory and that you'd be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to draw our attention to Psalm 94. And the reason for that is the prayer that's found in Psalm 94. And my question is, how often do we feel the need to pray like this? And, and the, reason, the reason I'm asking is because the Psalms are full of these kind of prayers, and they're prayers that the Lord would judge the wicked and defend the persecutions of the And then the other question is, if we... If this, is, if this is unusual to us, I mean, do we know how to pray rightly if, if this kind of prayer um, troubles us or bothers us in some way? You know, do we find it strange to pray against the powers of injustice in this world? And so I think, I think we're challenged in our preconceived ideas by this prayer for the Lord to avenge his people. And so one thing that's challenging with it is, one thing is if we're honest, we all know that we, we were once in that place of, of the wicked, really. You know, we, we were enemies of God in our minds through wicked works. Um, you know, we were once in the place of 
denying God and hating God and being a child under his wrath. But the psalm writer here, he recognizes his need for God's mercy, and he speaks of his need for a Savior. And yet, he has the boldness to plead uh, with the Lord for vengeance against the enemies of his people. Uh, And so, another question is, do we know we have enemies? And I would say, you know, of course our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as the scriptures say, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, let us not forget the real enemy of our souls who's behind the kind of tyranny that is described here in the psalm. And yet listen to what is described here. The proud pour forth arrogant words, and they boast hard things in order to crush the innocent, the weak, and the defenseless. And so, you know, coming to this psalm, you know, I, I want us to just consider how, in, in some ways, it does describe the, the time we live in with persecution of Christians to one degree or another happening in different parts of the world. You know, there is a sense in today of um, just a, you know, an overwhelming flood of the of the enemy, which is, is supported by those in authority who call evil good and good evil. And, and you know, we could all think of many examples of real injustice uh, that this psalm would bring home to us. But, you know, just consider that as, as the darkness is, exe- you know, it's, it's oppressive around us at times, you know, God is the one who is the higher authority and, and he's about the business of rebuking the nations. And so think about, you know, the, where it says that, that the wrath of God is revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You know, how is, how is that happening in the world today? Um, how is the Lord Jesus accomplishing this? And I would say in this psalm we see in verses 10 to 12, a foreshadowing of, of really um, uh, the gospel and the, the nations, they're blessed when the Lord teaches them wisdom out of his law. And so this is the wisdom of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Yet, you know, it's described as rebuking the proud and unbelief. And it also reveals the judgment of God and the wrath that is to come, uh, which they must flee from. And then he has, given, he has given mighty weapons to his disciples. He's given prayer and the word of God. And our weapons are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The proclamation of the gospel endued with the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ leads to the convicting of the world in sin, in righteousness, and in judgment. And by this, the law of God teaches rebellious man that he's not fundamentally good, but that he has sinned against a holy God in thought, in word, and deed. The law of the Lord, the Bible says, is perfect, restoring the soul. It breaks the hard heart in order that the gospel can be offered to bind up the broken hearts. Those are truly broken of their sin and repentant toward God. And the psalm says, He is the one who made the ear. So he hears every word spoken in gossip. 
He is the one who formed the eye. He sees every covetous glance and every look of lust. He is the one who is the source and cause of all true knowledge. And he knows every vain thought that's set up against the knowledge of, of God. So Jesus said that out of man's heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile the man. But praise God that in this psalm you can see the separation that God has made between his redeemed people and the proud that are lost and the vanity of their thinking. He has given grace to the humble and taught us wisdom out of his law. He has made us wise unto salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has blessed us on this side of the cross by reproving our sins and giving us a tender conscience to receive the discipline and chastisement of a loving father toward his wayward children. And so we can rejoice at his word when he, uh, when he corrects us through it since he's holding us up in his loving kindness and mercy when our foot is about to slip. In Christ, we are the Lord's inheritance. And this is awesome to think about. Uh, we have the privilege of sons and daughters to go to him boldly and to implore him for deliverance and even for the avenging of his people. Uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. It's not our place to take it upon ourselves to execute the vengeance of God against the tyranny of this world's system. But see here, the prayers of the saints are like, uh, I like to think of that earthquake-causing judgment of God that's in Revelation 8, 5, when, um, uh, that's poured out when the Lord, the God of vengeance, shines forth. And, you know, I wonder, did Paul and Silas sing Psalm 94 when they were persecuted and put in prison? Uh, wrong, you know, um, for, uh, you know, unjustly? They, under they understood that when the Lord rises up, for the repayment of wrongs against his people, that they will be granted relief in the days of adversity. But in the midst of these trials and afflictions, you know, like Paul and Silas, you know, we have to wait on the Lord's timing for his justice that's described here. Um, but just consider that, you know, so far we've only been looking at external enemies, okay? So, so in many ways, that's the easiest thing to condemn and think of as our biggest problem in this world. But look at verse 19. So it says, um, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. And so where is the opposition coming from here for the follower of Christ? You know, see, we have an enemy within. And so I would say that often the onslaught of anxiety and the thoughts of our minds can be the most debilitating and effective weapon of the enemy of our souls to sideline us and paralyze us with fears. You know, we may have rational fears from things that we know and we understand and we've experienced, and we can have a host of irrational fears that can multiply in overwhelming ways. And so we can't get the eyes of our heart to see outside of the tunnel that we perceive ourselves to be in. So I trust that you're all familiar with anxious thoughts, and I'm speaking to myself here, as much as any of you, uh, just to say that anxiety-filled thinking can be a monster within that steals our joy and robs us of effectiveness as a servant of the Lord, as a witness for Christ. So the Bible tells us that fear of man is a snare, but here we see the fear in man, which is multiplying, you know, all these potential scenarios of doubt and distress, and, you know, it's not just one thing, it's, it's, it's a multitude, it's a legion, uh, just like a marching army of 
anxious thoughts that overwhelm the soul. You know, just think about even what's in this psalm. I mean, God is rising up to judge the wicked. Does this include me? God is delaying his deliverance in the wisdom of his providence. Will I be able to endure the hard and abusive speech misrepresenting me and slandering me? God is chastening me by his word with days of adversity. Will I fail to learn the lesson that he is teaching me so that my suffering will wind up being endured in vain? The Lord knows my thoughts. Can his grace be sufficient for the constant dripping as a leaky faucet of my daily sins and even the most grievous ones to his Holy Spirit? So, am I forgiven? Does he care? You know, these are common questions that just, they're, they're common to all of us, they come up. You know, but it's a comfort, isn't it, to remember that God is mindful that we are but dust. Um, he knows our frailty and our fears, and he has not left us as orphans in this world. He has given us his Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth and to what else? To comfort our troubled hearts. He is the spirit of consolation. And his word tells us in verse 19 that the timing of his consolation is when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. Your consolations delight my soul. Your comforts bring joy and peace in believing. So brothers and sisters, what comfort is he talking about here? What is the antidote to the multiplying of our anxious thoughts within us? It's the thing that must delight our souls. We are delighted in God even in the midst of afflictions and trials when we remember his promises and the nature and the character of the one who has made the promises. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6. So consider here that verses 18 and 19 can be taken as a promise by all who are trusting in Jesus Christ. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Let us be quick to admit when our feet have almost slipped. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. His power is perfected in weakness. On our own, left to ourselves, we have no power to keep our souls on the highway of holiness or to present ourselves blameless in his sight at the last day. You see, we must trust in God's grace alone to save us, and we must also trust in his loving kindness to preserve us and to keep us, to hold us steadfastly to the end. We may say we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, thinking only of an event in the past, but are you now trusting in him who began a good work in you to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> so I can think of no worse anxiety fueled by the powers of hell that we can have in this life as a believer than the troubling thought that we may have worn out his patience with us and somehow exhausted his grace toward us. Um, and there's no greater delight to our souls than to be daily reminded of the comforting of the gospel promises that show us that he has indeed paid it all. Past, present, future sins, all washed away by the blood of the perfect sacrifice made once for all for all who would repent and believe. And friends, this is, this is true consolation. This is the most comforting thought in the world. Nothing can take us out of his hand. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. Our enemies will not overtake us to destroy our hope. Our sin will be subdued, and Christ will show himself mighty to save and shine forth as the king who reigns over all, especially in the hearts of his dear ones. The wicked will not ultimately prosper, 
A horrible pit is dug, prepared for the ungodly who are crushing his people. Crowns of glory have been forged, prepared for those who have learned wisdom and bowed the knee to the Son of God in faith. Even thrones of destruction will not prevail against the church of the living God. Do you know the comforts of Christ and his gospel that delight the soul? We who have these promises may join with all the saints of the age of the ages to say, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.